Well, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and here's what's coming up. Later on for our inbox, we have a listener and her boyfriend who are talking about marriage, but in the past, he has struggled with pornography, and she's a little bit fearful that he may fall back into porn use. And so what does that look like for the future of their relationship? Counselor Jeremy Keaton is going to offer some insights. And then for our culture segment, Brent Hansen is back for part two of our discussion around biblical manhood based on his new book, The Men We Need. So it's always a great time with our friend Brent. He's going to share some tips this time around on how to make women feel safe and taking responsibility for your own spiritual growth. So coming up later. Well, here we are for our round table, and I have got Alex, John, and Katie in the studio. Hey, y'all. Hey, Hey, Lisa. Lisa. We're back, and you guys, this is so fun because you get to be victims, I mean (laughs) contestants, on my question game. We're going to talk about questions, the art of asking and answering good questions. And some of this was born out of, um, it was really funny, like John and I were on a a same wavelength here because he came and asked me about this. And I was like, funny thing, I just attended this thing called the Global Leadership Summit, where one of the sessions was led by Vanessa Van Edwards, who is a I want to say like a sociologist, like a researcher specialist in kind of dynamics in the workplace, like interpersonal dynamics. Mm -hmm. And she did her whole session on the power of good questions in the sense of who hasn't walked down the hall at work and someone says, hey, how's it going? Or how are you? And then you're just like, good, you know, or, or everyone says like, good. And then you inevitably say busy because you don't know yeah. what else to say or everyone feels like it's they're Friday. busy. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're me, you don't even ask how people are. You say, hey, hi there. And then people respond, good, thanks, because they're not even <laughs> listening to your question. <laughs> okay. It's a good test. That happens to me all the time. So today we're going to talk a little bit about asking questions and have fun with it because I'm going to be honest, I am a question expert. Um, I'm a self-proclaimed <laughs> expert in what I call orchestrated fellowship because I don't trust people to have normal conversations. Mm-hmm. And so I force them I'm so with you. by asking <laughs> questions. And so, in fact, this happened in my own neighborhood. Uh, this was this was last summer-ish, maybe, I think, or early fall. We had a neighborhood gathering, and everyone's just sitting around talking about their home improvement projects. And I'm like, this is so boring, and it was super surfacy. <laughs> so I'm like, I've got a question, and I throw it out, and turns out I just started asking a bunch of questions and I have my neighbors across the street. She has not stopped talking about that. She was like, that was so fantastic and your questions and we need to get to know one another more in our neighborhood and all this stuff. So I was like, yeah, that's why we have to ask questions. Mm -hmm. It's good. Okay. So, and of course, you know, it's not only in the workplace, we can easily talk to people. And the first thing you ask is, you know, so what do you do? Or where are you from? Or it's kind of the standard rote questions, which I think at some point, you got to like, know these things about people. So I'm not saying like, never ask what someone does. But we just kind of get a little too comfortable in those questions. So Anyway, the point of this um, session that I attended at the summit was to really kind of come up with ones that are more connective of people. And she kind of 
divvied things up into level one, level two, and level three questions. And I thought that was interesting. And of course, you know, as you progress through the levels, you go through deeper types of questions. But I want to kind of kick it off by just saying generally, how comfortable are you with someone asking you questions as you're getting to know them? Or do you like being the person who likes asking questions? Or are you bad at both? (laughs) (laughs) I I really appreciate uh, what you said about orchestrated fellowship. I Mm -hmm. totally get that. And so I'm usually the one asking the questions. But if someone asks me questions, like if we're on a road trip, and they pull out a list of, you know, get to know you's that are a little deeper than where you're from, what do you do? Mm. I love it. I love being in the um, hot seat, I guess you might say. Yeah, that's fun. So I definitely am the question asker. Okay. Um, I was that way even when I was a kid. I just love being kind of an investigative type of personality. And I have even had friends at times tell me, hey, you ask a lot of questions. Maybe you (laughs) shouldn't do so much of that, which has been good. But it comes very naturally to me. I can literally be in a conversation and I'll try to pop out 10 questions before the other person maybe even gets in two or three, but the conversations, like, okay, Anderson Cooper, just right. back off, back off. The yeah. conversations I enjoy the most though, are the dynamic ones where it's back and forth. I definitely, even if I get to, let's say that 10 question part after a while, it will start to get a little old if it's not reciprocated. So, exactly. um, I definitely yeah. love it when it's dynamic and back and forth. Though I noticed that when we were talking about questions you like being asked, do you like being asked about the NASCAR season, which I'm like, um, (laughs) snooze fest, like no one, never will I ask you about NASCAR, John, because honestly, I don't even care. Um, Okay, I care about you as a friend, but Mm -hmm. I think we're going to have to find something else to talk about because that's not going to be it. So, all right, Katie, how about you? I'm really bad at asking questions. Okay. It's a problem. I'm trying to work on it. I'm trying to work on it. I think I've gotten a lot better. I used to be a super shy kid, which a lot of people are really surprised by because I'm usually pretty loud, but I'm still working on the question part. I I love, like, it takes me a while to develop deeper relationships. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, oh, I can get to those deeper relationships if I ask better questions. But so it's some, it's a skill that I'm working on I'm not great at it okay but what would you guys say like can you guys think of a person in your life like past or present who you were just like oh they are such a great connector like the person that really does know how to be that person and draw people out and kind of you know I mean well clearly John is probably that kind of person he's just good (laughs) at that and he's very um, observational as well of people so that's I think a good trait uh, to have and to be a student of others and stuff. But um, yeah, what are some of those traits that you've seen in people where you're like, wow, they're just so great at that? I think curiosity is mm-hmm. the biggest one, is a genuine, like, instead of just trying to manage the social interaction, which is what I fall into a lot, mm-hmm. how can I ask these questions? How can I manage this interaction so it ends cleanly? Like, that's more of my objective, as opposed to the people that I really admire that have genuine curiosity for the people around them that are willing to maybe even stick around in a social situation longer than it might be Mm -hmm. socially comfortable just because they love people and they want to know like what makes this person tick. Yeah. My friend Meg does this really well. She and I were really good buddies in college and we have stayed in touch since then, but she's really good about asking questions that are very affirming. Okay. Um, Case in point, I remember one time I was thinking about, um, kind of my own future. And she even asked me out of the blue one day, have you thought about writing? 
as an art. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I actually have. And she said, you should go for it. And I would even start writing short stories shortly after that. And she was always very encouraging to me to keep trying it and keep getting better. Mm -hmm. So um, the fact that she was really good about just asking affirming questions, I think goes a a long way Mm -hmm. because nobody wants to be around the person who's the type where they're asking questions, but they're doing it in a mean way. Yeah. Or it's very obvious that, Oh, why do why do you like that football team? They're the worst team ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Those types of questions, I think, can get old after a while because it's obvious the person's trying to undercut you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who does this amazing job. She'll ask some of the basic questions first, mm-hmm. but then she'll go deeper on mm-hmm. those basic questions. So, like, she might be like, "Oh, what do you do for work?" And mm-hmm. then they'll say, and she'll be like well, how do you feel about that? Like, how hmm. how do you like it? What do you do? And she sounds like she genuinely cares, which she really does. She's, yeah. like, amazing. Like, she says it in such a way that you're like, wow, you really care about me, even though I ju- we just met. Mm-hmm. You just feel, like, this connection with her instantly, mm-hmm. and I, I admire that so much. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that goes back, I think, to Alex's point about curiosity of, like, when you really care and when you really do want to get to know the person, it just prompts you to think of more questions, to mm-hmm. ask them, and to really be genuine in your interest instead of, like, well, I guess I better ask something else to kill dead air or, yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, let's practice this because I thought, you know, there, <laughs> I alluded to the fact that there are level one, two, and three questions. So one of the suggested level one questions that uh, Vanessa gave in this session uh, basically goes like this. And I think it's so great because, you know, again, one of those first things that you could be asked is just like, oh, you know, how's your day going or what's up today or whatever. And that's so like broad, you know, and super vague. And you Mm -hmm. often don't know what to do with it. You're just like, what have I done? I answered some emails. What can I talk about? Um, But her question, which kind of turns it a little bit and gets a little bit more specific is what has been the highlight of your day so far, which I think is a great way of positioning that because one, it limits the amount of time you're talking about. I mean, all of us have lived like what, six or seven hours so far today or something. So we don't Mm -hmm. have to like think of the whole span of our lives. But also then it's a positive ask, Mm -hmm. you know, it's what's been the highlight, not, you know, let's not be total downers here. So, okay, so I want everyone to um, answer this. So, so far, you guys, what has been the highlight of today so far for you? So I woke up with my wife very early this morning because we're training for a 5K right oh, now that we're wow. going to be running. And that was not the highlight of my day, waking <laughs> up. But the highlight of my day was after we got back from running, uh, my wife Megan said, how about you hop in the shower? Like I, we, we hadn't packed a lunch the previous night. She says, I'll make us some sandwiches for lunch. Mm. Go Aww. ahead, take your time in the That's shower, awesome. go for it. And I felt kind of silly because when I was at Costco, I saw a great deal on cheese, but it's just the block cheese. (laughs) And for me, just me, I love, you know, choosing the thickness of my like slices for my sandwich. I like them nice and thick. So I was like, perfect for me. Take it home. Megan's like, why don't you get a block of cheese? (laughs) This is added work for me. So the fact that she chose to slice the cheese that... Uh, In the appropriate (laughs) thickness? In the appropriate, yes, the appropriate thickness. And because I know that she didn't want to do that. And also just let me shower. That was just very kind. So I was just like, wow, that's a highlight. That's good. This round table right here. Well, obviously. Obviously. I mean, this is absolutely. Present company excluded. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this has been great. I I think one thing actually um, before this round table that was a big highlight is um, 
there is a group here on campus that I'm a part of where we just get together and chat about life early in the mornings. Alex is actually part of that group. So it's a group of guys where we really just check in and say, hey, how's it going? Is there any way we can be praying for you? And um, we've started doing that roughly two to three days a week now. Mm -hmm. And so it's really just a good kind of way to keep ourselves accountable and also to keep ourselves in prayer. Mm -hmm. That's been really a nice incentive just to have other guys to do life with and um, to keep each other accountable and to be praying for each other on Mm -hmm. a regular basis. So that was a big highlight for sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's really great. Yeah, for me, um, I actually got a picture of some of my friends who were still in college um, and they sent, they're all eating lunch together and they just sent me a picture of all of them making like really dumb faces and it put such a (laughs) smile on my face and they were like, and there was like an empty chair and they were like, this chair was yours. Like you will never be able to replace you. Like we miss you so much. And that Mm. just, um, just like feeling so, I don't know, like feeling like loved because it's different when Mm. I, when you move away from college and your friends that you've had for four years and then they're still there and you're not just being recognized and showing that like making me feel loved I guess Mm. it was just a huge highlight today yeah that's super great um I would say mine is a tie between I ended a juice cleanse today praise Mm. god Mm. um I just my weekend was ruined because I had such a massive caffeine withdrawal I couldn't even barely (laughs) handle it Um, so that is over and I got some good insights from it. You know, I'm trying to tackle some like inflammation in my back. All of a sudden I'm like, Hey, my back doesn't hurt. So now I've got to figure out like, what was I eating prior that was Mm. problematic and stuff tied with a message that we got at boundless today on social from Kelly. That was just a super encouragement to us. Um, Kelly actually said our, country our world needs to hear truths like boundless has regardless of what our culture is offended by thanks for all you do i've been listening to boundless for over five years and you've positively impacted my life and so that was just really cool to about this show so kelly thank you so much for saying that and taking the time to encourage us that means means a lot so that was definitely a highlight so Now, do you like to ask people or get to know people for a certain amount of time before you kind of start going deeper? Or how do you, or are you the person who just pulls the trigger right away? Or have people done that on you? This is like, I keep looking at John. I'm trying right. to avert my eyes because precious John had friends tell him that he asked too many questions. So do you go too deep too soon, John? Or what does that look like? Depends on how comfortable I am with somebody. Okay. But as far as the information levels that I will share, I definitely have have to get to know people for okay. probably at least a couple weeks or even a couple months. Yeah. Um, sometimes there can be triggers in the conversations with people where you recognize, oh, wait, maybe I can't trust this person with some of my more personal information mm-hmm. that maybe I could share with some other friends. But it takes a little while for me to be able to get comfortable enough to share um, some of the deeper parts of my life. I tend to live on a very deep level internally. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but once I get to know somebody, then I'm much more comfortable. That's good. Yeah. It takes me a while to get comfortable. Usually minimum a couple weeks okay. before I like start to really open up. Mm-hmm. And then I'm better at asking questions once I actually open up. But like, I get really like turned off by people who will just ask super deep questions, yeah. like right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, I don't know you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're like. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're compatible as friends. So I don't want to like, I just don't like going too deep too soon. It's too much for me. 
definitely agree because there is a there's a very sweet stage of friendship when you are kind of in the the chatter conversation where it doesn't get too deep we're talking about our family our friends our favorite movies um, I think another pet peeve is people assuming that they know you yes. before they mm-hmm. ask those questions oh, yes. and before they've kind of climbed <laughs> that hill of getting to know you okay. and they're just like, yeah, I just seen you like you really are um, this way. And I'm like, I, you don't oh, know yeah. me and also <laughs> yeah. I'm not that way. So appreciate it anyway. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So I think it's, um, it, it's interesting because a lot of times, uh, in fact, one of the, the second level questions that uh, this session talked about was the question, what's your story, which to me is like, is that like a level two? Because I feel like yeah, that's that super deep. Really deep. It's that's also deep. like really broad. <laughs> and like, how many people honestly, like, think about their story yeah. i mean i feel like you have to go to some kind of like a workshop to like plot that out and make it happen <laughs> it just seems a little unattainable for me but one of the level two questions that i do want to ask you guys because i think this is a fun one but also gets into a little bit of personality stuff is what book tv or movie character is most like you so how would you answer this i have one i've been told and I think I see this too, that I'm a lot like Amy Santiago from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mm. if you guys have seen oh. that show. Because, well, we're both Latina, and mm-hmm. then we we both, we lo- I look pretty similar to the actress. Okay. And we both get really passionate about very specific things. Okay. Like, she, like, she gets passionate about, like, organizing and things like that, which, mm-hmm. honestly, I kind of get really excited when I get to, like, okay. put things in a binder. It's, like, so satisfying. Yeah. But I don't <laughs> know what binders, it is. binders, they're pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is yeah. when you put things in a binder or you just put it where it belongs. Mm. Like, there's just something about it. And I was told this when I was given, like, this huge manual to read for a job mm-hmm. that I got like overnight because we had training and the next day they were like, okay, you need to read this entire thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. And I came back and I read the entire thing and I had it highlighted and like little sticky notes in it. And they were like, did you actually read that? And I was like, yeah, they were like, we oh, tell yeah. people to do that, but like no one ever does because it's really <laughs> long. And I was like, oh, and then he just looked at me. My boss just looked at me and was like, you are literally the most Amy Santiago person I've ever met in my life. And I was like, okay, I'll take uh, it. Yeah. There you, you go. didn't want me to read it. Don't put it in a binder. Yeah. I know, it was oh, literally in a binder. I was like, binder. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll continue the, um, the female trend and say this is someone that actually I don't know much about because I have not watched this show except for like an episode or two. But everyone told me I have to watch Gilmore Girls because I'm like Lorelai. Huh. I could see and it. And so <laughs> apparently like talkative or super like fast or something like that which I'm like I don't even know if I, is that like a compliment I don't know but anyway I will have to give the series a better chance at some point I actually started watching it and I was like I am just super exhausted and annoyed by this series mm. so I'm going to give it another chance and see if I can embrace Lorelai nice. in Gilmore Girls yeah I've been compared to Poe from Kung Fu Panda. I've been, compared to... <laughs> I've been compared to the cheetah from Zootopia. These big, like, silly characters. Mostly. Wait a minute, the... is Poe the panda? Poe is the panda. So are you sure. being compared Jack to Jack Black? Oh I'm to Poe. Poe, not okay. Jack Black. Poe. Okay. From... Oh. Which is weird. Like, okay. And that happened like three times in real life. And oh, I was like, goodness. there's something here. That's so and great. putting aside that they're, you know, primary character attribute is that they're fat (laughs) they're also silly and goofy and funny and i I try to take as much you know compliments from those as possible i personally would not say that i'm like that i would say uh, a character that comes to mind is wally he just wants love he's just doing his job wants to hold someone's hand super cute He, he likes adventure 
Uh, and also, you know, I'd, he's he's less fat than Poe and the cheetah, so <laughs> you know what? I'm going to say that. Poe has martial arts skills, That's right. and you're running a 5K, <laughs> come so on. come on. You you're right. All right. Okay, John. I've been told that I'm a little bit like John Boy from the Waltons. Oh, <laughs> which is a little funny because I've only watched half of one episode. That yeah, I that's recall. going back a ways. So I, I'm a bit of an old soul when it comes to entertainment mm-hmm. sometimes. So as far as characters that I feel like I'm similar to, I feel like I'm somewhere. <laughs> this is two completely different characters. I feel like I'm somewhere in between Rick from Casablanca and Jimmy Stewart's character, George Bailey, and It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah. So, okay. you're a heartthrob, for sure. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. On the surface, I'm more like Rick, and in my temperament, I'm more like Rick. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to care for people like George Bailey did. So, mm-hmm. Oh, that's super sweet. All right, well, let's jump really quick to our level three question because I do want to hit it before we finish. Um, and this one, again, is a good one because it kind of turns another very common question which you know is kind of just about likes dislikes people talk about this like personality stuff but this asks specifically how do you feel most misunderstood and i feel like this can get to a very deep like feelings driven like perception kind of level in stuff which is a good way of asking this question so how would you guys answer it i think that i am very extroverted mm-hmm. of course mm-hmm. um but i think i am misunderstood in that people think that i'm only extroverted mm. and like oh yeah we can just throw as much social interaction as we can at this guy and he's fine mm-hmm. i love being alone like mm-hmm. when when it's healthy and when it's like not in long spurts i love spending some time by myself journaling you know playing some video games watching some movies um i remember when movie pass was a thing i'd go see movies all the mm-hmm. time just by myself mm. and it was great loved it and so that's probably the biggest way I've been misunderstood. That's good. That's a good one. Yeah, mine's a little bit of a strong one. So um, for those who haven't lost a parent at a young age, sometimes um, there there have been a couple of situations where after my mom died where um, people who had great intentions would, even though they had not been through the same thing, would actually try to give me advice on how to handle mm. it. Oh, yeah. And to be very fair to... Um, those people, I was that way sometimes with, um, when I would interact with somebody who had gone through a traumatic loss. And so mm-hmm. something I have learned from it is some of the most powerful things you can say to somebody who is going through a loss that is that big, whether it's losing a parent or losing a sibling or, um, a close relative. One of the most powerful phrases you can say in that moment is, Hey, I'm here if you need me, mm-hmm. if you just need a listening ear and, Sometimes just sitting and listening can go such a long way. Mm, That's good thoughts. I feel like I always get misunderstood. At least this is like something that has come up in conversation with other people is that I seem really serious and intimidating when they first meet because I'm Mm. like more reserved when I first meet people. Mm -hmm. And so I guess a lot of people are really intimidated by Mm. that or just like it it just makes me seem like I'm disinterested in other people when in reality it's just... Is that because you're an organized Latina? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah. (laughs) But in my mind, I'm like, I'm like five foot one and like i don't like i like that just like that doesn't make any sense to me Mm. and i very much try to be a very like caring person i i try to be the person that like people can go to and be like like a like a stable person Mm. like that's what i really try to do and i feel like sometimes it comes off as especially when i first meet people Mm. like one of my best friends was like oh i was super intimidated by you when i first met you and i was like 
what gave you that? Like, what did I do? And I keep trying to figure out, like, what am I doing that is making you feel this way? No one can give me an answer. But um, that's how I feel like misunderstood the most is like a lot of people just, I think they just assume because I'm not super open Mm -hmm. at first that I must be like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. I don't really want to get to know you. I'm like above you or. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, as I just saw, it was yesterday or the day before, according to the philosopher Pitbull, um, (laughs) I saw a video interview with him, and he described women in general as the most powerful force in the world. So I'm just saying, I think probably you need to embrace it, Katie, Okay, and just be okay with it. So, okay, I feel like my response to this would be um, kind of along the lines of what Alex said. I'm a super rational person. I'm very logical. I'm a high T on the Myers-Briggs like so I can just be like yeah okay like very cut and dry very bottom line and I think people assume that as a result I do not have feelings or that I don't live at all in feelings or anything or that I can just be the good soldier and be the one who picks up you know in anything and so um yeah so sometimes that's a challenge for me and I can feel uh, you know kind of definitely misunderstood and kind of wounded in that or feeling like I'm having to be something that I'm not Mm -hmm. really so Well, you guys, the moral of this story is we have to be relational and ask great questions of people, be intentional in Mm -hmm. our question asking and answering, even if someone asks us something kind of lame because they haven't been through this round table. (laughs) But hopefully for those of you out there, you can practice with your friends and your family. Let's go after it and be the relational people that God created us to be. So thanks, y'all. Thanks. Thank you, Lisa. Sealed by broken heads In spite of all the obstacles I've seen humble feet Choose a taker stand Who's to say I'm not a miracle Who's to say that I'm not wonderfully made Who's to say that's my same fixable Who's to say my God can never make a change Give me a love like the Father Well, folks, uh, we are here for this week's culture segment, and we are actually back to continue last week's conversation with our friend, Brant Hansen. Hey, Brant. Last week's award-winning conversation. <laughs> exactly. Did we win any awards? Exactly. I, I feel that? like we did. It's just been um, a week. We haven't heard. They're still coming in. Okay. It's yeah, still, right. we're still getting notified. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Notified about that. Yeah. Um, remember when you came out here for Pursuit? That was so fun. And yeah. I made, I was cracking up because um, you tell the story in the book about like when you're asked to MC things, which uh. I totally asked you to do, like when we did our 5K. And I'm like, if you can just get up on this stage and just be like, hi. Oh. And you were like, <laughs> when you are given a mic and it's like, how's everyone doing I tonight? I can't do it. They have me do these concerts. because, it, And it's like... You guys ready to rock and roll tonight? Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. I can't do that. I'm For not... people that I know you don't even have their music on your playlist. No, so it's so I... just hypocritical. But I also have a microphone. Why would I yell? <laughs> a microphone should help you not yell. Yeah. I mean, if I didn't have a mic, I would. I'd be like, you guys okay tonight? But I yeah. do. So I'm like, 
Uh, you guys all right this evening? Yeah. Please I welcome am, Skillet. I am Brant always yelling. And I have, like, Are I have you? a housemate. Yeah, and she's just precious, and she's an introvert, and she will tell me, uh, hey, radio voice, you can <laughs> keep it down. You're just talking to me. I'm just always at one volume, and I, I attribute it to podcasting. And yeah. Like back in the day on the radio, you talk like this. Hey, we got the hits coming up. And yeah. You talk like that at home. No, I'm not that bad. I'm just like super loud all the time. And I, but to my credit, I'm going to say it's also because I hang out with a lot of oldsters who can't hear. There you go. So I feel like it's a combination of that because I love oldsters are my jam and they're my friends. And so I'm always shouting (laughs) at them and I'm always shouting on this show. So that's kind of how it goes down around here. All right. We are going to jump right in because we're talking about the men we need. Uh, which is Brant's new book. And this is not just for men, but guys, if you are listening and you haven't gotten a copy of this book, just do it, okay? I'm going to tell you about it again at the end of this show. But um, this is a great thing for you to get inspired um, with hopefully some of your buddies to be like, we can do this differently. Okay, I, you know, it's it's not helpful to talk about one of your books without bringing Jesus into the picture, because mm-hmm. you brought Jesus into the book. And mm-hmm. I want you to specifically talk about, you said there are three lessons um, from Jesus and how he treated women. And in fact, um, you know, we're going to kind of walk through them right yeah, here. Yeah, I call it the Jesus Masterclass. Yeah, I mean, that is exactly what it is. Yeah. And so let's talk about, because I think this is so helpful to men and encouraging to women. So give us, uh, let's just talk through these three things really quick and what, you know, what that looks like as far as calling men to live differently in respect to, because so many men are like, okay, the men we need, I hope he's going to tell me how to find a date and how to find a great girl and how to be that guy that every girl wants. So well, there's you, a subcurrent in here. You kind of will. Yeah. I, 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 again, I'm not saying to do this for that reason, but this is what women are looking for. Yeah. And and honestly, everybody's looking for out of men. Right. So you will become more attractive if you're, if you exude this kind of keeper of the garden approach in life. Um, But Jesus, what I find with him is he does things in his own culture that are shocking. Yeah. Like I've been, I've traveled enough where I've been in rooms where we're not allowed to see women, even the women of the house. Hmm. So they will slide the food underneath a curtain. Mm-hmm. I've been in several countries like this. The guys get to sit in the living room mm-hmm. and they'll slide all this food, a huge feast, but we're all sit on the floor. I don't even see the women at all. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll hand it to the child. The child can come in, a little boy will come in with the food or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that space is for the guys. Yep. So imagine Jesus with Mary and Martha yep. and he's teaching or what, like, and Mary, I'm going to sit in here with the guys. You're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. And Jesus welcomes it. Like, good choice. Yep. That's not normal. Like, if you're not ensconced in these cultures or traditional settings, you don't necessarily know. Or the first missionary that Jesus ever sent out is a woman. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she's a woman with a sketchy past. Mm-hmm. And she has no formal seminary training beyond a few minutes at a well with him. Yeah. And that's who he chooses to be the first person, like, go into a village and... yeah share that she's met maybe the messiah yeah it's her the first people to declare his resurrection are women (laughs) legally not even viable yeah yeah like he's upsetting this all the time and one of my favorite stories about how he elevates women and treats them the the dude jairus i think his name is he's a huge superstar religious 
head guy of the synagogue. Mm-hmm. He's a big time celebrity. Mm-hmm. He's the guy. Mm-hmm. And his daughter is sick and he wants Jesus to tend to her and it's an emergency. And he stops because he's in this crowd and a woman who shouldn't have even been there mm-hmm. touches him, mm-hmm. who's bleeding. She's unclean. She's not even supposed to be there. She's no one. Mm-hmm. And she's a woman. Mm-hmm. And he honors her and stops while Jairus and his retinue have to wait. Mm-hmm. They're probably like, what in the world? In fact, the girl dies. Yeah. Like, thanks a lot. Yeah. You had to talk to her. But Jesus is very deliberate about this stuff. Yeah. Like he elevates this woman, honors her. I think he calls her daughter or sister or something. I can't remember. But mm-hmm. like, no one does that. Right. She is a no one. He's a superstar. He chooses her. Yeah. He's she always a, looking for the fringe people. Front of the line. And, yeah. Always front of the looking. line, so as, even seeking them out, absolutely, the, yeah. and honoring, yeah, her dignity, yeah, not uncovering her indignity, covering her, like that's the Jesus I see. That is a that is a master class about how I should treat women mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah, advancing them, I right. want them to flourish and bloom. Yeah. And I love that. And I often say this to both men and women in the context of dating too, of like where kindness will get you. Hmm. I mean, so many people think, and I'm not saying that like maybe having a little bit of game or whatever, being confident and stuff isn't going to help you and, you know, get some great, you know, objective eyes on how you present yourself and all of that and and whatever and and get some good, um, good feedback on that. But but the value of kindness. So what you're saying, Brant, is this isn't like you're going to be kind to the hot girls or the popular girls or the whatever. This is like everyone picks up on kindness. Everyone picks up on the fact that you are making them feel valued. It's the deepest kind of kindness. Yeah. Because when we hear kindness, we're prone or gentleness, stuff like that. We're prone to go, oh, okay. No, no, no. This is a, this is a deep, a, a very solid Yep. Kindness. So, like the way I practice this with my wife, for instance, we've been married thirty-two years. Mm-hmm. I honestly am more polite with her than I am with other people mm-hmm. inside the house, because mm. usually we invert that. We're polite to strangers; they come to the door, and it's like, "Oh, hi, how are you?" And then back inside the house, we're rough. Mm-hmm. Like you should invert that. The people that you're that you're working with, the people that you're in closest contact with, those are the people you should be super kind with, and it shows a strength of character too that is only going to come because you understand what your role is in, in the world, again, as, this, as, as a person who's going to bring security to people. Mm-hmm. So. so true. So that was kind of you, basically what you're saying is Jesus respects women. He also actively listens to women. And you use the Samaritan woman as an example there. Um, but he also defends women. And I think that's something that, you know, in our culture, it's so just everyone for themselves. It's very, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's within a church structure of, you know, let's all, you know, find out who's most important here and elevate them and whatnot. You're saying that, um, you know, really you use the example of the the Pharisees ready to stone the woman caught in the act of adultery. Mm -hmm. And Jesus reminds them, first of all, that they need God's grace too. But then he actually covers her shame. He challenges her, go and sin no more. It's Mm -hmm. not just like, hey, whatever you do is totally cool. But um, in reality, defending her in that act and speaking on her behalf and choosing to be. And that's where I wish, you know, so many more men in the church were willing to be that covering that person. We talk about it a lot in the context of children, you know, speaking up for children, speaking up for the preborn, speaking up for, but for women too. I mean, what an act of godly manhood. 
Yeah, and I think it's advancing them too. Mm-hmm. So it's like you, people who want to just put it into a space of, of well, okay, here's here's one an example. Somebody using a different book, but I, I stole it with attribution. <laughs> um, one guy talked about how oh I, I we all all us guys are like we defend our wives against someone who intrudes in the house and bar you know comes in and attacks her. I would always so we're like yeah I'd be a protector. But one guy noted, he's like I realized. It actually doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, the intruder is me. Hmm. I'm with my words, mm-hmm. with my lack of building up this this woman. We're all vulnerable in a marriage or in a home or in community. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually the intruder by not being the blessing to her that I should be, hmm. or cutting her down, mm-hmm. or making her feel not saying things enough mm-hmm. so that she's she feels insecure. Mm-hmm. Like this is not a guilt trip. It sounds like it, but it's not. It's an opportunity mm-hmm. to change starting today. Yep. And I, I respect. They just asked me, like, well, what would you say to a 70-year-old guy who hasn't lived this way, <laughs> and now he's 70 and, like, full of regret? I'm like, I would tell him how much I respect him because somebody who's 70 years old and decides to reverse course mm-hmm. and humble himself is, like, one of the most beautiful things I can imagine. Mm-hmm. So if you if you haven't lived this way as a husband or as a friend or as a young man or whatever, mm-hmm. it is not too late. Right. And to humble yourself and say, I am going to change. I'm not going to be a threat to mm-hmm. women or vulnerable people in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure that they are not threatened. Mm-hmm. And I want them to thrive. Yeah. I am my wife's biggest fan. Right. She is brilliant. Mm-hmm. So I, I want her to blossom. Yeah. I think it's uh, Gary Thomas, who we've had many times on the on the show as well, who said um, when he stands before the Lord, you know, on the last day, it's it's going to be like God's going to be like, OK, uh, how did you study your wife? How did you cause her to flourish? And huh. did you move her closer to the cross? Huh. I mean, did you get and in, in essence, that's one, get out of her way <laughs> and allow her to move closer to the cross. But also, how are you? helping one another direct each other toward yeah. the cross. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's I think it's something we all do. It's it's interesting because I think for the for the man, it, this is always sketchy ground. Everybody gets upset about stuff, but it's like <laughs> so, a lot yeah. of the things that the women that women have had to do over the course of decades is because men have not understood that this is what we're supposed to be when we're at our best. Yeah. This that's so yeah. there's been this very strange toxic environment because we guys have had no clue. And this is something, if somebody who's even a feminist would read The Men We Need, mm-hmm. they would have to walk off and say, our culture would be a lot better if this caught on. Yeah. There would have been no need for a Me Too movement. Yeah, Like, we're not a threat to women. Right. We're their protectors of this space so that they can thrive. Mm-hmm. Like, that sounds like a pretty good deal. So, yeah, all that to say, I, I, I think there's a lot to that. I'm yeah. repeating myself now. Well, you, I mean, saying that, and here, here's where I want to, you know, cover um, a couple other points that you make here. Um, and actually, you mentioning the 70-year-old dude made me think of this. Uh, you actually quote Lincoln in the book as huh. saying, every man over 40 is responsible for his face. Yeah. Which I think is great, because what you're saying in that is one of your decisions that men have to make, and that is choose today who you will become tomorrow. 
And there are a lot of components to that. I want to talk about the component of not being afraid of commitment Mm -hmm. and being the person who's going to stand up and say, you know, uh, you even had the story of um, a guy calling into your show, basically, you know, struggling to commit to his girlfriend and their son. And he was just kind of like, well, you know, because I mean, so many guys are just told, what's the point? You know, we're both earners. We're both whatever. What? Why are we doing this? And you kind of gave him a challenge. Yeah, he was he was calling in like so you're living together. It's like well, we have a two year old together, and like I'm just curious, why aren't you married? Mm-hmm. Just curious. Well, financial stuff. I'm like, um, I don't think it's more expensive to be married. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're already living the same. Like, what's more expensive? I don't understand. Well, I just need to. I don't. You know, she knows that I'm going to be with her always. Well, why wouldn't you stand in front of people and say that? Mm-hmm. Like a woman generally wants uh, a man who's going to say, I will love you forever. Nobody else. Yeah. Why can't you say that? And if you can't, what are you doing? Yeah. And I honestly was trying not to come across like moralistic. I just genuinely curious. And he's like, I just never thought about it. So he called me back like a couple weeks later, they got married. Yeah. And like, well, cool. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. What, like, what, what, what is happening there where, you're, you can't make the commitment. It's I think we're in such a consumeristic culture that everything, we want to be free agents all the time. Mm-hmm. But but the problem with being a free agent, whether it's whether it's binding yourself to a church community, mm-hmm. binding yourself to marriage, binding yourself to a cause, mm-hmm. if you don't, you will have no poetry in life. Mm-hmm. If you stay a free agent, yeah. you will have no poetry. Over the course of your life, you will wind up a, a lonely old person. Yeah. So uh, Lincoln... Whether he said it, there's different attributions for that, but yeah, it's like you own, you own who you're becoming with your own decisions. Mm-hmm. And when you're 22, you can think it's not that big of a deal, mm-hmm. but the trajectory is that you become more and more that. Yeah. And by the time you're 70, 80, you become a caricature, either great caricature of peace and almost sainthood, like an older person that's patient and listens, mm-hmm. or that angry old person that hits you with the grocery cart. Yeah. Like, like there's almost no in between. It's like these people become a caricature of that trajectory that you set off on when you were young. Yeah. Well, and I think what you said about consumerism is so important because it is, I mean, it's almost like making a commitment in anything big or small is going to set you up as a leader because so few people are doing it. Absolutely. And I'm talking, I mean, a very small example, and I talk about this as an illustration on the show a lot, is like, you know what? Be the first person to respond to that party invite. Hmm. I mean, everyone sits around and waits like, well, who else is going? And I don't know. Yeah. Is there anything else better like coming that. up? Or maybe I'm just going to want to, you know, hang out or do whatever. And it's like, no, be the person or, you know, better than, you know, or better example of even parties or whatever is be the first person to volunteer for that thing at church or to be yeah. part of that <laughs> work crew or to be part of to be the person that's like, you know what, I'm going to get up at seven on a Saturday and go help this widow move because I heard that that's a need in my church. And you know what? How about if I get like six other guys who are friends of mine to do something different this Saturday and join me? There's a risk, as you know, the risk of embarrassment or just failure. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that I was trying to tell guys too. We immediately lean into stuff that we're good at. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you're good mechanically, you're good athletically, you're good at lifting weights or whatever, that becomes our thing. Mm-hmm. It's a comfortable space. Mm-hmm. Relationships are almost never a comfortable space for guys. Yep. Certainly not for me. So it's very difficult to throw yourself into that. Mm-hmm. But that takes a bravery. I'm telling guys, like, you underrate the bravery of being able to get to know your neighbor. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. It's easier for me. I've traveled all over the world. It's easier for me to travel somewhere else on the other side of the world than it is to walk across the street. Mm-hmm. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. yeah. Because you're running this risk of relationship looking stupid or things going south. Yeah. It's scary. Right. But the the bravery, I just have a lot of respect for the guys that will do it anyway, even though if they're not smooth, mm-hmm. even if, they're, if there's no... There's nothing to gain other than trying to be a blessing to people, like much respect, because that that takes a bravery that's way underrated. Yeah. No, it's so good. And it's not like, you know, people are like, well, you know, Brant, that's easy for you because you've written all these books and whatever. <laughs> like, OK, what if you're going to go to a neighbor? Yeah. What kind of like backstory do you have to tell him? You can't you know, you can't lead with, you know, all your amazingness. You no. can't. <laughs> You're going to have to... No, you know... <laughs> They're going to make some snap judgments, man. I ask questions, and I have to <laughs> I have to run the risk of them. They don't like me, or they think mm-hmm. I'm a weirdo, or whatever. But that's life. Uh, that's it, But it's got to take some risks. Oh, you absolutely do. Okay, so I want to, and I'm thumbing through my manuscript here, because I actually, this is actually a little portion I want to read too, which I think is great. I want to um, land in our last couple of minutes we have here in circling back to what you reiterate towards the end of the book. Um, what does it look like to actually act? And we kind of opened our conversation last week with this. I want to finish uh, with it. And you you basically talk, and this is under a, a section where you say, take responsibility for your own spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And guys not taking initiative with that. Um, and there's all kinds of components to that of just straight up, you know, finding out how to study God's word, figure out what it means. What does it look like to join a church? What does it look like to um, take initiative in these areas? But but then you also um, talk through, and I think this is so great, um, there's a section where you say, you know, kind of this internal conversation that we can have with ourselves in almost over or out explaining scripture. And you say, you know, it's a little uh, dialogue here between Jesus and the religious experts. Jesus says, love your enemies. And the religious experts are like, well, let's maybe study this first. Well, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Experts. Well, he doesn't mean it quite like that. Uh, There's a lot of nuance there. No, I mean that. (laughs) experts. Now let's study it. No, I just want you to do it. Well, what does do mean really in Aramaic? And Jesus says, what in the world? (laughs) And I just think that is so great because again, and this is kind of like what oldsters in the church say, like you can't do something, you have to form a committee to do it. But we do this in our own way too. And it's like, it's overthinking, it's over-rationalizing, it's someone else is there that can do it better than I can. We just need to do it. Yeah. Pray for your enemies. Yeah. Well, that was, let's think about it. No, no, just do it. Yeah. Like today, yeah. do this. Like love your enemies. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what I'm also trying to tell guys too, this is not a guilt trip. Again, it's going to sound like, well, get your spiritual act together. What I'm actually saying is spiritual to a lot of guys is very discouraging, even the word. Yeah. Because it sounds emotional. Yeah. 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 This is, this is the case for analytical women too, mm-hmm. but it's like, we've talked about this when I, and blessed are the misfits, but not everybody relates to God the same way. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has an emotional experience every time the the second chorus kicks in <laughs> and the drums drop out and then uh, they modulate up yeah. and then everybody throws their hands up like the fog circles. The fog, yeah, the yeah. fog comes rolling in. The lasers <laughs> and the holograms start. Like, not everybody has that. Yeah. But what I'm trying to tell guys is good news. That's not spirituality. Mm-hmm. Emotion is not spirituality. Mm-hmm. Being spiritual in a biblical understanding, if you actually read the stories, read how God actually works, mm-hmm. it's loyalty. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Faithfulness. So do you just keep 
partnering with God. I talk to God every day. I walk the dog in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's my cue to talk to God. Mm-hmm. And we talk about, I, I ask him for things I need for, to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Energy, mostly creativity, whatever. Mm-hmm. I ask him about things I'm concerned about. We, we partner together. Like he partners with Abraham. He's looking for partners. Yeah. yeah. This steadfast, even if you don't feel it, but you just keep showing up. Guys can relate to that. That's like military yeah. life, having a job. Keep That's, showing up. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to feel guilty all the time. Like, even though I am yeah. a sinner, yeah. I'm going to keep talking to him. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, again, as you're saying that, I'm saying it's taking God at his word and doing what he says. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and knowing that you can trust him to to have you. You but know, talk they, to him. Like, yeah. Like, don't, like, we get so ashamed of ourselves, too, that we just kind of drop out. But it's like, no, no, just do it anyway. Yeah. And yeah. we know what duty looks like. We want loyalty. But guys, for that, that flips a lot of switches for guys that otherwise we're thinking, I must be some loser because I don't feel anything. Or mm-hmm. do I have to have a meme worthy mm-hmm. moment here where I'm on a beach, you know, to have a spiritual moment? I got to be silhouetted against the sky again. Right. Like <laughs> most of our lives, we're not silhouetted against anything. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. So. Well, and really what you're saying is it it is understanding and listening to the Holy Spirit, which again, I don't want to make sound like some kind of weird voodoo. It is literally just taking marching orders. Talk. When the Spirit tells you to talk to someone, talk to them. When the Spirit tells yeah. you to get up on a Saturday and help that widow move, just do it. Don't worry about what your friends are doing or what you're going to be doing the next day. Or That's how you fill meaningful moments in life yeah, and be, not look back and regret your last 10 years. And you can be loyal today you don't have to have all this education it's good to keep learning yeah my goodness but no like today you can just just be loyal and then see where this see where this adventure goes yeah absolutely well brant it is always a pleasure to talk to you thanks so much for joining us here at the boundless show thank you Super i hope fun. um i hope it's helpful no it's great well folks again uh, as i said last week we have got copies of brant's book it is titled the men we need and we want you to get a copy you do that by going to boundless.org uh, this week you can hop over and do a search on 763 that's this week's episode and you'll see the book cover there just click on it you give a gift to boundless for whatever you would like to give and we're going to send Brant's book to you as our thank you so you can get that done and get reading this uh, very very soon so Brant thanks again thank you show me the wonders of your unrelenting love I want to know you I want to know you more open my eyes to see how much you gave for me Give me new vision, give me new vision, Lord. You are glory. Well, as we finish out the show, we open up our inbox and answer one of your questions. And Counselor Jeremy Keaton is here today. Hey, Jeremy. Thank you, Lisa. Good to be here. Always great to have you. And thanks so much to your team that is so gracious in answering our questions um, from week to week. Many of these, um, yeah, are so great to get your insight on. Well, this week is no exception. I'm just going to jump in here. Um, Our listener says, my boyfriend and I both struggle with a fear of our future spouse being unfaithful to us. 
us. He has previously struggled with viewing pornography, but it was many months ago and before we met. He does not intend to return to it with God's help. I do have a fear, though, that he will have lustful thoughts, which would be hurtful to me. I come from a religious background that emphasizes holiness, modesty, and victory over sin. How should he deal with the temptation to lust, and how should I respond if he falls or is constantly tempted? Man, so glad for the thoughtful question. And the fact that that you fear, both of you, that a, that a future spouse could be or would be unfaithful is really important. It's an important insight that mm-hmm. that's come up. So good on having discussions that lead to this depth. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely something to unpack, uh, really the why, where does that come from, uh, and how not to live in fear going forward. So I want to encourage you to answer those questions and to to pursue that conversation for sure. That's Mm -hmm. important. It's also good that you both can share about the topic of pornography and how it's impacted you. Uh, I I hear that he's he's determined not to go down that path again, and I hear that for you there are fears um, not only that pornography might occur, but that lustful thoughts might occur. And Here's what I want to say on that front. Uh, being merely determined not to go down that path and not to use pornography again is basically a plan to use pornography again. Mm-hmm. Because uh, willpower is not the ticket. Um, not because this is a bad person, okay? I'm not saying that at all or denigrating this uh, man as a, a bad man. But I'm saying that because that's how the pornography struggle works. Willpower alone, without insights into your own sexuality, your triggers, your why for the previous stumbles, uh, willpower is not enough to stay away from pornography for a lifetime. Um, but secondly, on lust— Lust is taking for myself what is not mine. Lust isn't mutual, okay? There's a lot of things we could talk about defining lust, but lust is the opposite of self-sacrificial love. We're all tempted in many ways. Jesus was tempted. In this world, especially this pornified world, we're basically all tempted at some level, at least, to lust— It's what you do and how you respond to the temptation in humility, in submission to Christ. That's what matters. That's where our character and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit lies in us in that response. So with a background that's committed to holiness and modesty and and victory over sin, which you mentioned, I think this difference in temptation and lust will be really important for you to come to a nuanced understanding and to parse that out and understand that distinction. And an appropriate prayer, and and I've prayed this, I pray this with clients, I've taught men's group to utilize this prayer. This is an appropriate response to temptation to lust. Lord, I see the opportunity for sin. However, by the power of your Holy Spirit, In my friendship with you, would you untwist in me what sin has twisted and help me to see other people rightly? Hmm. There's a friend of mine that taught me that prayer, and and, uh, I want to give him credit, Christopher West. And it is such an appropriate response to temptation because we're all going to be tempted, but we Hmm. don't have to move into lust, which is the taking for our own 
pleasure. If there's a fall, if there is a fall in this area, then a plan of communication, of learning, of processing, processing the hurt. Sometimes boundaries and changes need to happen because there's been a a stumbling in this area. But finding a redemptive path, a hopeful path, a learning path, if that happens, is God's heart. Now, if it's an engaged couple versus a married couple, there might need to be differences in the response. If it's severe and repetitive, there may need to be some counseling. I can't get into all those implications in a short answer, but I wanted to preview that there can be a varied level of response, but a redemptive path if um, if a problem does occur that's yeah. unplanned for. Yeah, that's so good. And and obviously, if both parties are humble and teachable and wanting to grow and wanting to be open and, and whatever, um, you know, that's so helpful, too, I think. Uh, so thank you so much, Jeremy, for that response. I think that's really, really great. Well, folks, um, we often like to remind you here at The Boundless Show to share the show with your friends. And Jeremy's response here at the end is one reason why, because we have the opportunity to walk with one another into healing and wholeness and closer uh, to Christ himself through God's word and other ways. And it's just a great opportunity for you to take a resource like Boundless and the Boundless Show and introduce your friends to it. So maybe that's taking this week's episode and putting it up on social, uh, telling folks, introducing the question that we tackled here and introducing your friends to the show and letting them know that they can go back to boundless.org and search for past questions that they may have asked uh, and need answered. We want to be a resource to you. And so hopefully you will uh, do that. And in the meantime, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.